Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and I've got one of my favourite returning guests with me today. Hotfoot from publishing her own book, a week on from publishing and looking very happy and enthused and energetic, we've got Susanna Serrano-Davy. Of course, when this actually goes out, Susanna, it's going to be a lot longer than a week after you've published your book. It will be, yes. Hello, Kevin. Susanna, one of the things you mentioned in your book, and we've talked about doing a podcast about for quite a while, is NLP. Susanna, what on earth is NLP and why should I be worried about it? Okay. Well, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And I don't think we should be worried about it at all. I just think it's something that can show us some insight or can give us some light about how we operate as human beings and how we interpret and deal with our world. So whilst I'm not an NLP expert, I have done a fair amount of training. I've, I've done courses of several weeks and I have almost, imagine going into a sweetie shop, pick and mix sweetie shop, and you have the, the red ones and the yellow ones and the black. And you take your bag and make up what you like. And I have done a little bit of that with NLP. So I, I would love to talk to you today about some of those sweeties that I think are particularly tasty in the okay. NLP. But in general, it is a, and you could say it is a, a branch of psychology, humanistic psychology, I think it's called, that looks at, um, yes, how we interpret the world and how uh, we can, through language specifically, and you, you do know how much I love language, Absolutely. Uh, we can understand a lot about ourselves and also we can have a bigger impact on our world through using our language appropriately, as one of the examples. I've heard some things about NLP. I've tried to read one or two books on the subject, never got very far into it, Susanna, nothing like you in terms of attending training courses. But I must admit that one of the early things that I learned that I found very useful is observing the language that other people use and suddenly realising how, whether they're a, a words person or a visual person. Now, think of somebody, you're explaining something to somebody and will they reply, I see or I hear you? Yeah. Straight or away. I feel. Or, or I, I feel. feel. Third, yeah. The yeah. Third, third interpretation. Just learning that one little thing, I found that so useful as to understanding how the other person responds to information. Absolutely. And that is very useful when we're trying to get our point across. Because, and that's definitely one of the sweeties I took away from that shop, is understanding that you need to adapt. Not you, you don't need to, but it is helpful to adapt the way we, we put messages across to make sure you reach, you actually reach everyone that you want to reach. So, for instance, I'm working on my website at the moment and I was talking to the person that is helping me. He's all about words. He writes these very long things and I love videos and images so it's important to get a, the message correctly across to have a balance between 
lots of words and content and also having some visual aids and videos so that whoever comes to that page receives the, the message we want we want to share. And I think something that is important to, to point out at the beginning of this conversation is I think NLP, rightly or wrongly, has acquired a bit of a sometimes bad reputation because in marketing, for instance, people talk about using NLP to, to manipulate your clients. And actually, I don't think it's, it has to be like that. I think like with everything in life, imagine many technologies that we have, you can use them for a good purpose or for a bad purpose. You know, the, I'm sure the, the atomic bomb, when the scientists first started in the laboratory, they weren't thinking of sending a bomb to kill people. They were thinking of... of more noble purposes and and I think with NLP it's a little bit like that you can it's a set of techniques and tools that you can use for very good reasons or unfortunately if it happens to fall into the wrong hands it may be misused Mm, yeah but certainly I I know from the way I respond to things I'm a a words person rather than a, a visual person if I'm trying to find out about something and I go and put a Google search in and Google comes back with a whole pile of YouTube videos, I'm ignoring, ignoring, ignoring where somebody has written the instructions down. <laughs> yes, but that's you, Kevin. Whereas I am the third type. I'm a kinesthetic person, which we're all about touch and feelings. And And again, for people like me, for us to connect, we need to connect emotionally. And we need to connect with the sensation. And I, I think when you actually observe yourself and other people, it's actually not that hard to spot what type they are, as you saw earlier. And even if you're watching a, a politician on television or or someone you listen, people listening to this podcast, if they pay attention to the words we use, they might be able to spot. Actually, Kevin is all about words and Susanna is more about feeling and touch. Well, there's a good challenge, listener. Consciously, over the next 24 hours, as you're listening to conversations, who's all about words, who's all about touchy-feely, and who's all about visuals? That's a fun exercise. Fun exercise. Do it for 24 hours consciously, and I think you'll learn an awful lot about some of the people that are around you. And then the question to me that they could ask themselves at the end is, what can I do differently with these people from now on to improved on the engagement that I have with them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, Susanna, you talked about the sweetie shop, all different colours of sweeties. We've picked one off the shelf there that's yeah. useful. Tell me some more. Right. I'll start with a quote uh, that is actually quoted in, in my book that I like. By oh, Carl. nothing like getting a plug-in for your book. I know, podcast. I know. What's this? This is, what, what, to, this is, this my is the baby. third time we've mentioned the book on the this podcast. This is my baby, <laughs> and I want my baby to see the light and live in the world, so you oh, have to. By the way, if, if anybody wants to buy a copy of Susanna's book, there'll be a link in the show notes, and you can oh. get it on Amazon. And what's it called again, Susanna? In English, because there is two versions, Spanish and English. In English, it's called I Wish I Had Known. Okay, I Wish I Had Known. And I suppose Thank I have you. to tell you what, ask you what it is in Spanish as well. Uh, ojalá me lo hubieran contado. <laughs> it's the same thing, more or less. Brilliant. <laughs> anyway, down anyway, to this. Got the plug out of the way. Very interesting. And Carl Jung said, 
everything is mediated through the mind, translated, filtered, allegorized, twisted, and even falsified by it. And for me, this was a hook that got me interested in NLP because it was the first time that I sat down and thought, are you really telling me that what I see and think of the world is not the world? And to me, that is the basic premise in NLP is the fact that our perception of the world has nothing to do with the world. It's just our perception of the world. And of course, the gap in reality between what's actually out there and what we perceive is full of things. And these things are things like the filters we apply to life. Mm, mm, now, that, that is definitely, definitely interesting. So that, that would imply that you see the world totally different to me. Indeed. And would imply that I could change the way I see the world without the world changing. In, absolutely. You got it spot on, Kevin. Mm, mm. And to me, that has a lot of implications because it means that suddenly there's no such thing as the ultimate truth because it's all an, it's all an interpretation. And therefore, by being more open to acknowledging that we're interpreting all the time, we can slowly take that step back. And I, I often talk about this difference between imagining a, a theatre play, you're an actor, you're there playing your role in, in your character, or you're somebody sitting on the chair as part of the audience observing and acknowledging that our view of the world is not the world, then opens up very interesting views of what's happening. And that includes a conversation you might be having with someone, a political opinion, a conflict. Um, and to me, it's an absolute gem, realising that actually there is, it's not as simple as that particular yeah. truth that you happen to see at the point in time. And you've mentioned that quote from Carl Jung, and I'm thinking back to how did I first discover anything about NLP? Well, I was going through an airport. I can't remember where I was going to on business, and I'd, I'd done the usual dip into WH Smith's by the morning newspaper to read on the airplane. I, I went and I looked on the bookshelf. And I, there was a particular book I wanted, but typical WH Smith, they had a two for one offer on. And I thought, what on earth is the second book that I'm going to buy here? And sitting there, for some reason, right in front of my eyes was this book by Paul McKenna, Change Your Life in Seven Days. Wow. What, the what, on, earth that, what on earth is he on about there? I started just flicking through the contents of it. But this actually looks a bit interesting. And I bought it. Well, I got it for free because it was a two-for-one offer. And I ended up reading it in quite a lot of depth. And it was all about getting you to understand your view of the world and giving you lots and lots of different techniques, essentially, to change your view of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know Paul McKenna is a huge, huge fan of the man who founded most of NLP, who's Richard Bandler. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, But before you're able to change the way you think, you need to acknowledge your bias. And I think that's what's interesting and tricky at the same time, because when intrinsically, when we have a bias, we don't know. We just have that 
we have that bias. And once you catch it, then that is the point when you can change your, your life, you can change your view, and you can train your brain as well. You often talk in NLP about brain training. You can train your mind to, to see things differently and to perhaps the typical example is the having the positive mindset rather than a negative mindset. And it's like muscles. You go to the gym to work on your bum or to work on your arms or but the brain is the same if we are constantly using your your negative patterns your negative pathways you're forever hooked into that pattern whereas if you then start to focus on a, for instance a more positive way of thinking and you strengthen that over time you, you get stronger at that so we're on the gross cfo show and so far, we haven't mentioned a single thing about finance, CFOs, or anything like that. Given what we just talked about, Susanna, how do we apply this to, to some of the practical situations we might find ourselves in? Um, very easily, I think, because behind the technical aspect of finance, there is a work environment, there are individuals, and there are personal styles. So... It's no good, and I often say, that, what's the point of being brilliant technically if you're not able to navigate everywhere else, everything else, in a smart way? And often when we talk to grocery for members in the workshops and other events that we have, people don't come to us thinking, oh, I want to get better at budgeting or spreadsheets. They more often than not say, I want to get better at navigating the workplace. I want to improve my soft skills. So. For those of you listening that may have thought, oh, this has got nothing to do with finance, think again, because yes, of course, finance is important, but to be a solid and successful professional, we need to strengthen both of our muscles, the technical one and the, and the soft skill ones. Mm -hmm. So how we would apply it, for instance, in answer to your question, I think, Kevin, uh, just acknowledging the fact that we have different styles of people. And quite often in, in finance, we tend to make the mistake typically that we imagine I'm a words person, yes, and I prepare my month-end report. And it has every detail possible about why the variance on, on certain spend or revenue. If I give that report to my CEO that is a visual person, within 30 seconds, they're going to switch off and they're going to want to jump off that cliff. So if we know we're working with a CEO that is a visual person, then let's start with a good graph that says it all in one image, for instance, or vice versa. If we're visual and our CFO is a words person, then to that person, we need to have a, a report, a month-end report that has more content and detail. Absolutely. I'm thinking along those lines as well into a, another podcast that I recorded. I recorded a show with Merrick Rosenberg a while ago and he's all about disc profiling yes and I remember the, the a way of looking at it that he's, he's got four birds there's the the eagle the dove the parrot and the owl mm -hmm. in terms of how people respond how they like to be communicated with I'm thinking hang on a minute if you if you take those four birds and please go back and listen to the episode the eagle, who's probably the CEO with the, the 10,000 feet view, doesn't want any detail. The dove, who's probably more of the, the HR person, worried about the team, bringing people along, making sure people are in the right place, could 
associated a lot with the feelings that Susanna's mentioning. The parrots tend to be the sales and marketing people who love to chatter. And the owls tend to be the finance people who love the detail and love love to impart wisdom on the situation. Now, take those four birds, listen to the episode with Merrick and understand more. Combine those with what we've talked about, the way people approach language, visually, audibly, feelings, so on. I think you start to get something very, very powerful. Absolutely. You have more influence in your world. Mm. And that's at the end of the day. Well, if you're a finance leader, what is it about? It's not about the numbers. That's the bread and butter to get to the job. It's about how do you influence people to get the right outcome? Absolutely. Mm. That influence, I suppose, could be the rest of your business team. You've got a business mm-hmm. situation. You're coming up with, I hate to use the word recommendations because that's how you turn people off. You give them options. But how do you influence them towards the right thing? Rest of your team. How do you get the best out of the rest of your team? How do you understand what makes them tick? I think you've got to understand how they see the world. Yes. And I think language is our biggest tool, I think, because Another sweetie that I've picked from the NLP box is to understand how through language we can see how biased we are. And I there are many ways in which we can do it, but I like to simplify into the three main ways that I think are important is when we talk, we often generalize when we're just sweeping everything, like saying, you know, all accountants are boring. <laughs> Who has not heard that of these people listening to the Gross CFO podcast? And if you Who don't believe it? it, I'll put a link to the John Cleese sketch from Python about boring accounts in the show notes. That's a typical generalization. Uh, also, is we tend to omit information where we might say that presentation was terrible, for instance. But actually, not all of the presentation was terrible. So we tend to just ignore some of the facts as part of the things we say. And the third thing we do with language is distort the situation. Like you might say, always submit late. I'm trying to look for examples that are to do with, with finance. Uh, you know, the deadlines are, all, we always miss the deadlines, for instance. And in fact, I'm sure there'd be some deadlines that are not missed Right. So when you listen to what people are saying carefully and you pick on these three things that we do, that ultimately they all do the same. They are misconstruing reality. They are uh, creating a cloud. Um, You can understand what are the barriers they have. And and if you play that back, it's almost like if you said to me, well, Susanna, is that clearly, you know, I do believe accountants are boring. And I'd say to you, Kevin, are you really telling me you've never met an accountant that was fun and outrageous and extroverted? And then immediately you see how silly that statement you made is. Uh, With that challenge in the language, you can help the other person remove some of the bias because they start to open their view. And as you, you and them, you both open your views, you become more balanced. You become more of an observer, going back to the theatre analogy, more of the watching the theatre rather than being stuck into your character. Mm. And if you still think accountants are boring, go back and listen to some of the episodes of this podcast because we've Absolutely. had really, really interesting guests. You know, guests that have uh, pioneered a brand new investment fund for female founders. 
Wow. Because having discovered that it's much harder for an all-female team to get funded than an all-male team, or even a mixed team, and it goes into white versus colour as well, there's that subconscious bias gave David Horn a whole reason to almost start a second career. Uh, who else have we had? We've had the treasurer of the Magic Circle, who's a magician himself. We've had uh, a very interesting lady from Spain on a lot of episodes who you can't really call boring at all. <laughs> <laughs> not not my biggest fault, I have to say. I have others, but not that one, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So, Susanna, we've got all sorts of types of people and realising what makes those people tick is really important. Mm-hmm. Is there a link to values here and people needing to have the right values in order to successfully work together? Yes. Um, and I think our values are not always so evident. So I will tell you about this picture that in my NLP uh, training, the, the teacher always used to, to use that. I think is is very illustrative of what it, it's all about. So in this classrooms, we often had the one slide of one iceberg. And if you can all picture this big, massive block of ice with bright sunshine on the outside, that clear, crisp water, and tiny little thing coming out of the water. So water line. I'm making a line, by the way, here with my finger across the, (laughs) for the listeners, I cross the screen. So little tip above. And then Below the water, this massive, massive chunk of ice that you cannot see above the water. And this analogy of the iceberg illustrates really well what our world is all about. And what that means is that the bit above the water is what we can see when we acknowledge the things we know about ourselves and how we interact with the world, which is a small percentage. But below that waterline lies everything else, all that obscure and conscious things that are made up of beliefs, education, our culture, even our spiritual call is below there. So as we explore, and you know, I'm a big fan of also self-awareness and and going into that water rather than staying above, we're able to identify what drives our reactions because when we imagine, an example that I, I might use is the, the swastika, you know, the, the Nazi symbol. Yeah. In Europe, if you use that symbol anywhere, it's truly distasteful because in our world, in our culture, it has terrible connotations. And I remember the first time I went to India in my finance role, I had a, a massive team in Pune in India an outsourcing provider, and I arrived in this office and there it was, this swastika on the floor, beautifully presented with lots of flowers. And that was the first time I saw this thing. And I'm thinking, am I misunderstanding this symbol? What's this symbol doing here? And eventually I, I learned that actually in, in the East, that is a symbol of a spirituality and beautiful things. And that's just an example of how it may not be the swastika, it may be all sorts of things from opinions, from something visual, from a style of writing a report, we have hidden under the water preconceptions that have an impact on how we interpret what's going on. So 
going deeper and, and finding our misconceptions, our biases, those filters I talked about earlier, it's really important to having a balanced interpretation of the world and also, I think, to be able to navigate it from a less confrontational way. Because once you understand that it's just a bias that you've had or you inherited, you take it less seriously. Or at least that's what I did in my case. I took these things a lot less seriously. And therefore, you're freer as well to adopt new, new beliefs that sit better with who you really are rather than perhaps something your parents have told you. Okay. So this sounds as though it's an awful lot about to use NLP really effectively. It's about training your own brain. It's changing mm-hmm. your perception of things. Can you tell me a bit more about that, Susanna? So I think more than changing, I like to use the word choosing. Because let's pick an example. And trying to think of our listeners. Let's pick a typically example, a career example. I often, in terms of my mentees as well, I mentor both women and men and accountants and non-accountants. But if I think of one particular group, female um, accountant who is either aspiring to be a CFO, that newly first finance role, that typical case is a woman, and if I t- pick up a woman for the moment, that has worked their way up their career, always been incredibly efficient, hardworking, typically women that have been good girls and have always had high levels of expectations from their family. Perhaps they come from a family that valued really the academic achievement. And then they find themselves in a position that suddenly they realize that all these being a good girl, top grades at uni and brilliant accountants somehow doesn't work anymore (laughs) Um, because they can't quite deal with that situation in the boardroom or with that investor or with that difficult team members. So to me, letting go of some of those beliefs that, for instance, you always have to be right would be something helpful to choose um, so that when you interact with the world, you're less, um, your expectations are not quite as harsh with yourself. Or like one of the, one of the ladies I'm mentoring at the, at the moment, Alba, she works in London in, in the construction industry and she's just being uh, promoted and she, she has now team members. And she was really daunted by that. And also she's the technical expert. So she's called into these meetings to give responses to fire problems. And her challenge is that she feels she needs to be right all of the time there and then. And by not feeling she's able to do that in these meetings, she feels out of her comfort zone. And, and I said to her, that's, that's all good. I understand you're the technical person, but you don't have to have the answers, the right answers there and there all of the time. You sometimes can say to your client or to your peers, say, in theory, technically, I think this is the right thing. But actually, let me go back. I will study it further and I'll come back to you with a more secure answer. And I think we all find that in a workplace. We have the belief that we have to be the accountant that has the right answer all of the time, whereas life is not like that. And so it helps, I think, to question some of the beliefs that have got us here in order to keep the ones that are really helpful in our career or life progression and question those that are a hindrance rather than help. Yeah. And 
do you need to understand where that beliefs come from and why you've got it in order to move away from it? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the important thing is understand that that belief now in this moment of your life is a barrier rather than an aid. And some people might get hooked on, oh, because my mother was always hard on me or my father had. I I don't care about all that. To be honest, I think it's all what's the word elucubration elucubration there's a word i can't think of at the moment like it's just it's just a theory it's really not adding any value what if you get the right answer i don't think it matters and really i don't think there is a single right answer to that anyway yeah yeah no thinking along those lines susanna and i've mentioned one of paul mckenna's books already i went on subsequently and bought several more Now, one that I really like is I Can Make You Thin. Now, in there, a good amount of that is based on NLP. Mm -hmm. Paul Paul sets out four golden rules in the book. And one of the rules is stop eating when you're full. (laughs) And simple. (laughs) As simple as that. He's basically going on on the grounds that most of us in a Western culture had a, were taught from childhood, Plate of food is put in yeah. front of you. You finish it. You the plate. You finish it. Okay. Yes. No, no. Paul say, forget that belief. That belief is not helpful. There is nothing wrong with leaving something on your plate. Okay. You've had enough. Stop. That's a perfect example. Perfect example. And a lot of the things around NLP are so so simple that it's you've got a belief. You've got a view of the world but it isn't helpful for your current situation. But that belief is under the water. So it's finding them. That is the the tricky thing. Yeah. So move on and adopt a different belief. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, of course, believes that one of the things that really helps him in that situation is some hypnotherapy. And most of his books come with an attached CD where you can use his self-hypnosis mm-hmm. ideas in order to to start to reprogram your brain with the right language. That's one other angle of NLP that you can go down. Mm-hmm. But this isn't all about hypnotherapy or anybody who's thinking this might be a bit woo-woo. No, it's not. It's practical right. stuff. It is it is very practical. And, it, and now that you've mentioned that, I think that's another interesting link that I've I've come across through NLP. Is the connection between our body and our brain. So there are exercises in NLP, for instance, there's one called an anchor that you can try and associate an emotion to a, a movement or a touch or a gesture in your body. Yes. And by training that, uh, you can use that as a, imagine before you go into a presentation. Uh, I remember I went on a development training for, for women leaders years ago. And I, one of the things I took away from that is that you have to use your power pose. So before you go into a difficult conversation, you ladies and gents as well, you hide in the toilet and you go, oh, I can do this. And simply changing your body posture has an effect on how your body feels emotionally. And therefore, that is a little help in walking into that room or that situation. And this might seem very silly, but it's the same. It's saying, okay, how do I use my body as a tool to have better outcomes uh, in other senses. And we can also use our bodies to understand uh, what sensations make us stressed or to uh, look what you, the example you use about stop eating when you're full, if we're able to identify the bodily um, sensation of certain things, then we are alerted 
And by being alerted, we can then, in that example, stop eating. Or if you're in a meeting, breathe before continuing. It's funny, if you go on and read Paul's book after he's mentioned the golden rule, there's then probably most of a chapter on how do you understand when you are full? Mm -hmm. Therefore, the behavior is, well, you slow down, you eat more consciously, Mm -hmm. you listen to your own body. You you don't just shovel the food in and shovel the food in. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to how you're feeling. And you've mentioned that one about gearing yourself up for the, the presentation, the meeting, whatever. I've heard of people almost stepping into an alter ego to go into a meeting. Okay. Susanna's like this, 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 this. But Susan is different. Yes, because we all have, I often talk about, we all have different different characters we impersonate, all of us. So whoever says it, he or she doesn't, I think that they're not really paying attention because yeah. it's almost like a child playing with a dressing up box. We, we put different costumes on depending on what we fancy that day. And yes, I think that is, is something that happens. And if it happens, why not use it to our advantage mm-hmm. of when it's appropriate, putting the right costume on I'm playing with that, but to me also importantly, acknowledging that we, who we really are, are none none of those characters and none of those costumes. It's just an act, it's a tool, it's something we do to survive, not necessarily we need to get attached to a particular uh, interpretation of ourselves. Now, Susanna, we've been chatting for ages here. And probably touching the surface on a lot of things. And this is a huge, huge subject area. It is. If if anybody has sort of had a light bulb moment and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I need to find out more about this. What, what's the logical next step to find out more? Um, and I, I went off and I picked up a Richard Bandler book and it got so technical and whatever. I thought, no, this is hard work. And I switched off. What's the next easy way into this? I'm not sure, to be honest, because I came across it by accident. Somebody sent me an email about a little course that I didn't watch, and then that led to me going into another course. So I agree with you that I think some of the material that is out there is either very technical or a little bit, in my view, mishandled. And and I think one of the things we need to be conscious of, or at least I am conscious of, that there is no no perfect ideology or no perfect system. So I would encourage people to perhaps, the internet is super easy, just search neuro-linguistic programming. You can, (laughs) some of the things we've talked about in terms of the different um, styles of processing information, in terms of the language language, uh, filters that we use, just explore a little bit and, and take, go to that sweetie shop. I wouldn't recommend that somebody goes down and say, right, I'm going to read three books from Richard Bandler or I'm going to read three marketing books. Just, just take a peep at that, at that window shop, at that sweetie shop, and, and really let life guide you as to where to scratch the surface a little bit more. Because there's a lot, as you say, and I, and I don't think there's a perfect, perfect mix. I have my perfect mix. You have your perfect mix. Then let our listeners find their own by exploring a little bit. And certainly my view, and I think it's yours as well, that I'll, I'll take little bits from all sorts of methodologies, all sorts of theories, and I'll put them together in something that works for me. Absolutely. I agree. Susanna, 
that has been a fantastic conversation i've thoroughly enjoyed exploring this with you so have i so i encourage people to to look into it and listen and more importantly i suppose if i had to choose a simple instruction at the end i would just say pay attention to yourself and to others and in particularly what you say and what you hear yes and be in the moment absolutely susanna thank you very much for being this week's guest once again on the Grow CFO Show. Thank you, Kevin. A pleasure as always.